Take your Bibles with me and turn to Luke chapter 11. Just want to give a few minutes of attention to the word, some final encouragements before we kind of launch out into the week, and I trust will be an encouragement to you. We read uh, in the book of Acts about Paul, and you noticed all the the we language, us, uh, that's Dr. Luke, who's traveling with Paul. If you pay attention in the book of Acts, sometimes he's saying us, sometimes he's saying he, sometimes Luke is with him, sometimes he's not. On this boat trip, he was with him. So he was there, he was in the Adriatic Sea, he floated up on that island, Dr. Luke, who would have thought? Uh, we've been in Luke's gospel uh, today, but just that image of uh, being on the sea, when a, when a captain is navigating his vessel on the ocean, he needs to know how to have his bearings in order to find his way, doesn't he? For centuries, how have they done this? I'm not a, a boatman. I, I do not know what I'm talking about, but how they've done this. They've, they've navigated by the stars, perhaps, with their, their instruments to be able to locate themselves, approximate their position. Can you imagine a ship's captain trying to guide his crew and his ship to port uh, only by the sea, by the waves? There's no features, it's changing all the time, and maybe there's a way to do that that I'm not aware of. But of of course, that seems ridiculous to us who don't know what we're doing, because to do that, you'd be subject to all manner of currents and winds that are really beyond your understanding, beyond your control. And over hours and days, especially, you can almost see kind of the, the... trail of his of his ship not going towards port it's really getting blown way off course and he has no idea he's being guided by the waves he's trying to take his position from something that's changing all the time but if he knows the course of the sun he knows which way is east which way is west if he knows the constellations of the sky he's got his tools with him especially he can he can chart a pretty good course and he's gonna have something fixed that's up above beyond him that's gonna pull him out from all that which would get him lost. I think sometimes in prayer, we're a little bit like this. We need guidance. We find ourselves in need of some direction. And really the worst way for us to proceed would be to proceed just only under the direction of our own desires. Because good as they are, they tend towards us, don't they? Or good as they might be. We tend towards self. It's human nature, it's our sin nature, and we do do this at times. Sometimes we do just go ahead, we launch out into prayer, but we find that our prayers just tend towards self-centeredness. I believe part of the reason that our prayers tend towards self-centeredness is because we're looking to ourselves for guidance. But occasionally, there are times in our lives when God raises our eyes and refocuses our gaze, not on the waves of the sea of our changing heart, but on him. Luke chapter 11 gives us one occasion for the disciples of Jesus and for us to encounter the values Christ gives to guide the prayers of his people. I've titled the sermon this evening, Kingdom Values in Disciples' Prayers. Kingdom Values in Disciples' Prayers. 
If you look there in Luke chapter 11, verse 1, the disciples observe Jesus praying. It happened that while Jesus was praying in a certain place after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John also taught his disciples. This is a good question for us to ask. We've sung this question, this request tonight, Lord, teach us how to pray. This is a good and godly thing for God's people to ask of God in prayer. Teach us to pray. No doubt, as the disciples saw the ministry of Jesus, they saw his frequent retreats off to pray. They saw that he conducted himself with an unusual power, an unusual settledness, an unusual alignment with God's will. They knew that this was the Christ, the Son of God. But there there was, about Jesus' life, a certain distinctness in his prayer. So they say, Lord, teach us to pray. And what Jesus teaches, of course, there's a record in Matthew of a similar question, a similar answer. But what Jesus teaches here is that the disciples of Jesus pray according to the values of God's kingdom. God's people don't go through life with their desires unchanged, fixed only on themselves, guided by selfish desires. No, God fixes us on something bigger and better and more stable. He fixes us on himself and on his values for us. God teaches us to center our prayers on him. And I think we can make this connection. Our prayers are full of God's values when our prayers are full of God. So if our prayers left to ourselves tend towards self-centeredness, I want us to take some encouragement from what Jesus teaches his disciples tonight. We can pray according to the values of God's kingdom by focusing on our prayers on God in two primary ways. I'm just summarizing what Jesus teaches in two ways. First, we focus on who God is in himself. And second, we can focus our prayers on God in focusing on who he is as he acts toward us. So God's person and his works, who he is in his essence, just apart from anything that he does, and who he is as he acts toward his people. This is how we can focus our prayers on God. So first, notice that Jesus teaches his disciples to focus their prayers on God and shape their prayers according to God's value as they focus on who he is in his person. So I've just kind of summarized each of these points, and there are seven of them that I want to draw out for us very very briefly. In prayer, relate to God. Recall God's mercy. What does he say first? Verse 2, Jesus said to them, when you pray, say, Father, Father, relate to God in prayer. This is a title that Jesus instructs his disciples to use. Can you imagine any Old Testament Jew using this title of for God? No, Jesus was certainly the first one to do this in in a knowledgeable way. And that's part of what made the religious leader so angry with him. Who are you to say God is your father? But as Jesus does this, and as he saves people and unites them with himself, he brings others and us to today into that relationship of son to father. This is God's disposition towards you. If you're a Christian, you are my son, my daughter. Maybe the image of a father isn't a pleasant one for you. It's not lost on me. When we come to Father's Day or Mother's Day, sometimes that's a great grief to people. 
because their father was not a kind man. But this is, this is a different kind of father. He is a good father. When we pray, we come to a tender and loving and almighty and all-wise father. So we're to relate to God as children. God is a father. This is one way that he's revealed himself. Of course, he's a warrior. He's a judge. He's a king. He's all of these other things, but he's a father. And if, as we pray, we focus on who he is and what that means for us, our prayers will be focused on his unique excellence in that way. He's our heavenly father. But second, in prayer, you could say, revere God. Not just relate to him, but revere him. Remember God's perfections. Father, hallowed be your name. Or God, sanctify your name. This word hallowed is very similar to the word sanctify. May your name be treated as holy. And the idea here is that where God's name is honored, he is honored. You could maybe say it this way. God, help us to keep the third commandment. What's the third? We've been memorizing them in Kids for Truth. Do not take God's name in vain. Okay, And sometimes we talk about that in terms of using God's name in in kind of an expletive common way, like is common in our world. And of course, that's included. But do not bear God's name as a Christian, a little Christ, and live in a way that's contrary to that. You would be taking God's name upon yourself in vain in a way that treats God's name as worthless. We've talked about this in Kids for Truth. It's a lesson for the youngest all the way up to the oldest. God, please exalt yourself in my life, in my family's life, in the life of our church. You are holy. You are untouched by sin. Even angels can't look on you because of your perfection, the brilliant radiance of your purity. Please, Help us to live like people of so great a God. Hallowed be your name. Revere God. Relate to God. But third, anticipate God in prayer. Meditate on God's promises. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Jesus taught. Of course, God is on the throne in heaven. He rules over all authorities who will give account to him. But the earth is in rebellion. Of course, one day Christ will reign visibly, totally from the earth. But right now, he reigns spiritually in our hearts, right? We call him Lord. He is Lord and Savior. So God, please save sinners. Bring them into submission to you. Help them to confess your name. Lord, rule in my heart. Search my heart to see if there's any part of my life that isn't resigned to you. Because you're Lord over the whole thing. I need to yield to you. Your kingdom come. That's certainly an asking for God to come quickly. That's how the whole Bible ends. John says, amen. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. And that's the heart cry of a Christian. Lord, I'm weary of sin. I want to see all things made right. But Lord, as long as you wait, advance your kingdom purposes now. Anticipate God. Meditate on his promises. It's easy for us to be self-centered in our prayers. 
But in these instructions to his disciples on how to pray, Jesus really is orienting us away from ourselves towards the values of God's kingdom. He's fixing our eyes on who God is. He's the glorious, holy, living God. He's the coming king and judge who will make everything right and reclaim his people. God cares about his children. God cares about his honor. God cares about the lost. These are the values of God's kingdom. And as we pray, we can pray according to these values. As he is the center of our prayers, we will praise him and we will beseech him according to these values. But the second primary way, category, that these, the prayers of the people of God ought really to be focused on him, not just on his person, but on his work. So the values God intends to guide our prayers relate to his gracious work toward us. Note these four ways. In prayer, depend on God. What does verse 3 say? Give us each day our daily bread. This is an argument for pray daily and pray for your needs daily. Depend on God in all of what I'm saying. I'm not at all saying that we shouldn't take our burdens to God. Of course, we should take our burdens to God. God knows our cares. God cares about our cares. This is a way that we humble ourselves under God, casting all of your care on him because he cares for you. You know what comes right before that? Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. This is a way that we do that is by casting our cares on him. But even as we do that, this here, give us each day our daily bread, it ultimately turns our cares and our needs into something that's not ultimately about us. And I would say the distinction is this. God, please give me that and that and that and that versus God, please provide for my needs. I need you. I depend on you. There's a very different attitude between those two things. One has you and your desires in mind. The other has God and his provision in mind. I'm just trying to paint in our minds how this is really a God-centered prayer. Even though you're praying for your needs, it's still about God. God's desire for you is to be dependent on him and to trust him. God is a loving father, and we can trust him. We must depend on him, and we must express that continually because... If our desires end up selfish, our way of operating tends towards uh, independence, doesn't it? When we pray or when we go without praying, that's a sure sign that we're trying to operate independently of God. I've certainly seen that to be true in my own life. But prayer makes us dependent, and we can express dependence in prayer. So in prayer, depend on God. But in prayer, secondly, confess to God. Seek his forgiveness. Verse 4, forgive us our sins. This certainly recognizes that we sin every day, even as we pray for bread every day, unless you want to go a day without eating. It's an interesting question. If you only got as much food as you prayed for, here as we confess sin, Forgive us our sins. It's easy to say, Lord, forgive me my sins. Okay. It's not the whole teaching of the Bible on this. Admit your sins specifically to God. Confess it. 
tell God the truth about it, repeat to God what he says about it in his word, and come to him for cleansing. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's a beautiful verse. This prayer, I think the heart of this prayer, forgive us our sins, a person who pray this, prays this way, really reveals a heart that desperately wants close fellowship with God. Because what does the Bible say? If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. If I have sin that I'm hanging on to and I'm not confessing and turning from in my life, I have no fellowship with God. So the person who prays, God, forgive me of my sins that I committed today, says, God, I want fellowship with you today. And I know that my sin's going to keep me from it. That's a value that God prizes. God provides, and we should pray for his provision. And he forgives, and we should pray for his forgiveness. Because when our hearts are set on the forgiver and the gift that he gives, our prayers are lifted from self-centeredness. But third, in prayer, I've, I've summarized this next statement Jesus puts here. In prayer, testify to God. Acknowledge his work in you. This seems like a very strange comment, strange thing to say in prayer if we're not familiar with Scripture's teaching on this. Forgive us our sins, for we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Does that sound a little self-righteous to you, just on the face of it, out of context? Well, I forgave everybody who, who sinned against me, so God forgive me. That's not at all what Jesus is saying, although it's not far, because Jesus is clear. That if you won't forgive others who sin against you, God won't forgive your sins. It's a serious teaching. If we had time, we could turn. You can write down the reference. Matthew 6, you know what? I think it's serious enough that we need to lay our eyes on it in God's word. Matthew 6, just very briefly. Matthew 6, verse 14. Jesus is teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, For if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. Striking. Really, the reality is, if you are hanging on to sins against you, you're just proving yourself to be hard-hearted. If you were to read Matthew 18 about the parable of the unforgiving servant, he is showing that even though the, the king who he owes an unpayable debt has forgiven him his debt and he goes out and demands a much lesser debt, he's showing himself that he does not care one bit about the grace he's been shown. He just cares that he saved his own hide. He cares about himself. And if you hang on to sins against you and you will not forgive, if you're bitter Better watch out. But the point I want to raise today is that a forgiving heart is a work of God. We ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Only God can turn you into the kind of forgiving person that you need to be, that he expects you to be. And if he's done that, you can come to him in confidence, not self-confidence, but the confidence of the Bible for the forgiveness that you need for your sins. because of the work that God has done in your life toward others. 
It is God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. If you're a forgiving person against some really terrible, terrible sins against you, praise God for that and testify to God about that. God, look at this work you did in my heart. I'm, I'm forgiving to other people, not because I'm so great of a person, but because you're so great of a God. Please forgive me. I know you're that great too. He is so good towards you and me. Tell him about it. God, you did this. God provides, God forgives, God transforms us like we're talking about. And finally, he rules and protects. In prayer, hide in God. Trust God's sovereignty towards you. The last thing Jesus includes to teach his disciples to pray is to ask God, lead us not into temptation. We need to be clear here. James chapter 1 says, let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself doesn't tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he's carried away and enticed by his own lust. So what is this saying? God does not solicit anyone to, to sin ever. God does not invite anyone to sin. God is not a tempter. But he may allow us to be tempted, whether that's coming from our own hearts, whether it's a temptation from the world that really finds a hook in our hearts and really is compelling to us. And that could be for any number of reasons that God allows us to be tempted. And maybe it would be helpful to think of the opposite. You know, just for sake of illustration, theoretically, is it, is it theoretically possible for God to keep you from every, we'll say, external temptation? Because we know there are temptations from our hearts. Could God theoretically keep you the rest of your life from accidentally stumbling across a, a dirty picture on the internet? Theoretically, yes, God could do that. Could God keep you from anyone who might, who might flatter you the rest of your life and tempt you towards some kind of wicked sin? Yes, God could do that. God maybe does do that at times. Could God keep you from encountering that one person or that multitude of people who all seem to be the same kind of person who can just really mash your buttons and get you really riled up and angry? Yes, God could keep you from all of those people. Could God give you a sibling who is just so easygoing that they just always agree with you all the time so you never fight? Okay, yes, God could theoretically do this for you. But he doesn't do that, does he? Instead, God lets us face normal pressures in a fallen world. And God may even purposely put us in positions that will cause us to depend on him. Lord, I know that I'm weak here. Lord, please... Please keep me from sin. If he does put us in a place where we are being tempted, we have this promise with us. 1 Corinthians 10, 12 through 13. This is a precious promise that's worth memorizing. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. And if we're honest, it's been 
the vast majority of our times when we have not endured temptation. But that's not on the fault of God. This request here, lead us not into temptation. It's born from a desire to stay far away from sin. God, don't even put me in that situation because if I know if I if I know if I'm there, I'm I'm going to be prone to sin and I don't want to sin. There's nothing about this that is blaming God for sin once I'm tempted, but it's just this acknowledgement that I'm weak. I am a sinner. There's an acknowledgement that that sin is lurking in every crevice of your heart if you pray this way. God, I know how wicked I am. I know things I haven't struggled with for years. If I'm tempted the right way, I could be in that sin in a moment. Lord, keep me from temptation. That's the safest place for me to be, is for me not even to be tempted. But should you allow me to be, help me to believe your word and help me to find that way of escape so that I don't sin. I hate sin. This prayer says, And it does recognize, doesn't it, God's sovereignty at times to put you in those situations. Lord, if you allow me to be tempted, that's your will for me, and I trust you. But if it's your will, keep me from it. That's the heart of this prayer. So as we just give brief, very brief attention to the Lord's prayers, you maybe heard it called or the disciples' prayer. I'm not, I don't intend to try to paralyze you or make you make you think at the beginning of prayer week, well, what if I'm not praying according to God's will? I, I really hope to encourage you by this. God is a marvelous, wonderful, mighty God. And he has worked graciously towards you if you're a Christian. If you're not a Christian, God has worked graciously towards you. He's filled our lives with good things and hope for the future. So worship him. Lift your heart and your voice to him in prayer. Think on who he is, think on what he's done, and pray according to that. that that's going to really shape the values that you pray according to. Because what we've talked about tonight, avoiding sin, trusting God's sovereignty, depending on him, magnifying him, relating to him as a father, these are the values of God's kingdom. He's a king, and we should worship him and seek his help for what he's called us to do and to be in this sinful world. May the Lord help us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you, like Tom said, for adopting us into your family. What a wonderful family it is. Thank you for our family. Make us a family here. Make us your family. Help us to imitate you as our Father. And teach us to pray. This week and just even this week, just as a starting point, teach us throughout our lives. We feel our weakness and our self-centeredness and our frailty, even to pray at all. Lord, I, I know that I'm in a room with people who can barely find time to, to think about themselves throughout a day, maybe because they have kids or they're caring for a loved one or whatever else. Lord, I pray that you would uh, just draw our hearts and our affections to you, just to relate to you, because you desire fellowship with us. In all your great goodness and glory, you're not standing in heaven as some great frowning taskmaster. 
just waiting for us to disobey. No, Lord, you're a loving father who wants fellowship with us. And just in our weakness, we don't do it enough. Help us to avail ourselves of uh, this wonderful means of grace this week to, to seek you by prayer. Help us to pray according to your values. Keep our eyes on you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.